Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Who's more of a libertarian, Donald Trump or Bill Weld? Mm. Oh, that's our, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like saying, you know, which of them is closer to being black? I mean, because it's, <laughs> you can't have it. To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, my Liberty Kitties. We're back here at the 299th edition of the OG, the flagship program on this here Lions of Liberty podcast feed. That, of course, means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 299. And we're just one episode away, one measly little episode away from our 300th episode next Monday. And it's quite a doozy. As I've mentioned, I'll be joined by two all-stars in the Liberty movement, Jason Stapleton and Larry Sharp. And if you listen to this program and and don't know who those guys are, well, let's just say I'm flattered. I'm I'm simply flattered that you know who I am and don't know who they are. But if you were a member of our support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride, you would have already heard that show because I released that episode a week early to our paid members. So if you don't want to wait a whole week, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support and you can check it out right now. In the meantime, we've got some business to attend to, because while I'm pretty excited to air that big episode 300 next week, I'm super, super excited about today's show for a couple reasons. One is that we've got a brand new sponsor starting this week, and that is martinarmory.com. And let me tell you a little bit about Martin Armory. They are an amazing online gun dealer, and they just make purchasing a gun so simple, so easy. There are just, you know, so many guns out there, but these guys only focus on carrying the top 25 most popular guns, and they're able to get you the best prices you can find anywhere for some of the most popular guns on the market. So be sure to check them out. It's a brand new sponsor. I'm really hoping to blow them away with the response from the Lions of Liberty listeners. Please do consider using them to purchase a firearm. And if you do so, use the discount code LIONS at checkout and you'll get free shipping on top of that. Now, the other reason I'm excited today, and I want to be clear, you should really not mix the two things that I'm excited about here today. That's my public service announcement. But I'm also excited right now because I've got an alcoholic beverage in my hand. I'm currently sipping on a nice light Tecate beer because, well, I've got a pretty long day of boozing ahead of me. So we're keeping it light for now, but we'll see how things unfold. And of course, if I'm drinking, that means it's time for America's favorite libertarian drinking podcast segment (laughs) and that is of course libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor so let's bring in our guests starting with a series regular he's one of my lions of liberty co-founders he is the host of the weekly felony friday podcast here at lions of liberty from pittsburgh pa John Odermatt. Odie, are you ready to roar? Roar! Right. Pretty good. You were more than ready. You were so ready that you've already completed the task. That's excellent. I feel like I've done that recently. I don't know. Maybe it's a... I don't... I don't... Did we, did we <laughs> I just really don't. do that? No. 
Does do you almost feel like we started the show and then maybe I realized we weren't recording and then we did it all again? Is that how you feel? It's like a deja vu? It's possible. A little That's bit weird. deja vu. Touch of deja vu. I have no idea why you would feel that way. It might have something to do with the fact that I've already had a few before we even started this. Uh, I started off drinking a Tecate and uh, I have now transitioned. I've already transitioned because I just, you know, I like beers with with more flavor than Tecate. It just was what was laying in my house. So I've already switched over to an Angry Orchard and... Um, that's all I'm going to say for now. I have something else waiting in the wings, but I'm not going to mention it just yet. But uh, what are you drinking over there? Drinking a local Pittsburgh brew. It's a Rivertown Brewery here in Pittsburgh. It's a Hawaiian pineapple beer. And it's uh, I'm not even going to try to say it because uh, I can't say it. So we'll leave it at that. Moving along. <laughs> Next up, he is also a podcast host. In fact, he's got quite a number of podcasts he's involved with right now. He hails from what many call the most libertarian state in the nation. He is the host of the Lava Flow podcast, Roger Mother Effin Paxton. Are you ready to roar? Let's do it to it. Ooh, all right. I like it. <laughs> and Roger, what are you drinking over there in, uh, in Freedom Land? I have got some Johnny Walker double black. You are more of a man than either of us right now. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, well, I knew that. I mean, we knew that going in, but, but if, if the beard wasn't enough to certify it, the, the, right, the right. liquor choice certainly is. Thing is, for me, it's 4 p.m. my time right now, a little inside track into our recording, and uh, I have plans to go out this evening, and that is five hours away. So I'm trying to at least pace myself a little bit, but well, nonetheless. That's what you get for being on the left coast. That's just what I saying. get. That is what I get. And uh, lastly but not leastly, I've got yet another Libertarian podcast host. He is a survivor of the great meme wars of 2016. He is the host and dear leader over at We Are Libertarians. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris Springle. Is it Springle or is it Sprangle? Whatever it is. Are you, are you ready to roar? <laughs> Look at this guy. He's got sound. He's either got sound effects or he's squeezing his cat right now. I'm not sure which you'll it never, is. You'll never I know. Hope, it's I hope he's squeezing his cat. So. I'll, I'll never know. And the ASBCA will never know. I is think it? he touched his cat in a very inappropriate place, personally. When you're a big star, they let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> These kitties will let you do just about anything, huh? Yep. Now, now Chris, as I mentioned, uh, and to, for the record, for anyone out there that doesn't know this man, uh, his real name is Chris Spangle. It's not Springle. It's not Sprangle, as uh, our good friend Jason Stapleton likes to say from time to time. But uh, I have actually granted you a very rare and very special waiver because uh, you do not drink alcohol. So you are not actually drinking an alcoholic drink right now. Uh, normally, I would chastise you heavily for that. But because I need guests for this program, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm going to wait until you're gone and off the air to do that. So uh, <laughs> but, but what are you doing over there? You, you drinking anything? You playing with a fidget spinner? You squeezing your cat? What, what's going on over there in Indiana? I drink water, and then I also, when I when I record shows, I always, it's not a fidget spinner, but I do fidget a lot, and so I have a, a retractable fork that someone gave me for Christmas one year that I play with, oh, or Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty, which helps me get right in the mood, so it's like a bunch of silly putty. So I am always playing with my hands while I'm doing a show. He's got putty, he's got a cat. I mean, you got your hands full, pal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gents. Well, as people that have listened to this segment before know, uh, we have no plans. We have no idea what we're going to talk about, and that's part of the fun. So what's on your minds, guys? Obviously, there's been, in the news this week, the biggest thing that that's out there is this whole Comey testimony, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I actually want to start with Roger Paxton, because, Roger, what I want to know is, uh, do you give a flying fuck about any of this? 
No, I don't. And it's so <laughs> amazing that. Well, it's so amazing that I don't have to. You know, I mean, moving up here to the Free State Project, New Hampshire, there's so much going on here locally that doesn't, you know, none of the shit that's going on in Washington affects me in one not even in the least. So I don't give a shit. It doesn't affect me at all. You know, and I, I, I kind of wish that something more people in general would realize. I mean, like, I enjoy the, the, the Trump tweets. I enjoy the Comey stuff. I enjoy it like I enjoy any other reality TV show. But the fact of the matter is, none of this stuff is really going to affect any of our lives, at, for the most part, at the individual level. And what is going to affect our lives is a lot more is what's going on in our individual states, our individual localities, our neighborhoods, our households. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, what really affects our lives, not all this all this drama. Absolutely. And I spent 20, well, more than 20 years of my life banging my head against the wall, following politics. I was, you know, like uh, Chris's buddy, Greg Lenz. I was, you know, a a politic god. I I knew everything that was going on. And I realized after about 20 some odd years of that, that I was wasting my time and energy because I was affecting no change. Nothing was changing because of my knowledge of politics and what the latest scandal was and all of that mess. It was a complete waste of time. So I've been much more effective since I've completely ignored that stuff. So if you want a podcast that gives you all of the ins and outs of that stuff, my show is definitely not for you. (laughs) I love the reverse plug machine that Roger does here. Right. (laughs) Uh, What else is going on? Chris, what's what's the haps there in Indiana? Anything wild I I need to know about? No, I'm the... uh, Going to pool parties? Yeah, we have great pool parties, uh, but I, I, I am just, uh, I'm, I am watching all of it. I love nerd sports. Uh, I never have taken it as seriously as maybe it sounds like Roger did. I just, you know, it, it, I have more of a, well, let's fiddle while Rome burns attitude, I guess. Uh, and I'm watching it because I'm praying that Donald Trump did not obstruct justice because being from Indiana, I can tell you that we don't want Mike Pence to be our president because I don't know. He, uh, Donald Trump is pretty darn incompetent, but Mike Pence may give him a run for his money. Here's my hope about Donald Trump, and, and, and obviously I don't really care if Trump is president, if Pence is president, if Hillary. I mean, at the end of the day, policy-wise, like we said, this stuff isn't going to affect our lives too much. But I'm starting to feel like Donald Trump is, might be a really amazing firewall in the sense that maybe nothing's going to get done for four years. Like, literally, maybe nothing will get done because of all this Russia hysteria. The, DN, the Democrats just want nothing to do with working with him, which is silly if, if you're coming from the perspective of a Democrat, because Trump is essentially a moderate Democrat. And if they were smart, they'd be working with him on, you know, maternity leave and all this crap. But they're not doing that, so I don't think any of that's going to happen. And then, you know, you got the Freedom Caucus, who somewhat opposes some of what, you know, the healthcare stuff he's trying to put through. And I'm not sure if they're necessarily going to go along with a lot of the, the watered-down stuff he tries to push. So, you know, obviously we have elections in two years, but there's a pretty good chance that this just might remain a reality show that, that is literally not going to affect any of our lives, because we might not see any legislation really whatsoever coming out of this Congress. Uh, well, I was just going to say that I think in a lot of ways it's uh, it's really instructive for libertarians of any variety, of any stripe, of any of any party. They all need to watch what is happening to the Trump administration, what is going on with the Trump administration, because it's very instructive, I think, for us. Because if you're not part of the permanent power structure, then you see you see the battle that you've got ahead of you. And uh, I think from a non-interventionist perspective, partly because of his incompetence and and lack of, uh, I don't know, ability to see beyond his own narcissism, uh, 
Um, and partly because of whatever ideology he may have, you're starting to see America's role in the world shrink on, on a national stage. And, and the Bush doctrine is starting to uh, high, it's starting to shrink, uh, thankfully. And so I think that you're seeing in national affairs, and this is, if you are interested in this stuff, that you should listen to my show, uh, the opposite of, of Roger's plug, uh, <laughs> because we do talk a lot about this stuff because I do think that it is interesting to see someone who is president of the United States, who was not part of the permanent power structure, who is hostile to the deep state, and who has... Um, either functionally or intentionally a non-interventionist foreign policy because he's completely ineffective uh, other than, you know, uh, militarily he's sadly been effective, but diplomatically he's ineffective. I should clarify that. Um, you well, know, is, is, is he you, really, is he really been completely ineffective diplomatically? Didn't he just get <clears throat> NATO uh, really in reality to say that they want to start taking care of defending themselves in Europe. So even in his, uh, if, if that wasn't his intention, um, that's what really came of his trip to Europe. Ineffective in the sense that he is not playing the traditional games and ineffective by the diplomatic core standards, absolutely. And in that instance, that is a win uh, in, in the lessening of America's contributions, hopefully soon to the United Nations. That's a win. Leaving the Paris uh, Accord, that's a win. These are wins by libertarian and non-interventionist standards, but from you know your traditional Republican or Democrat standards, those that's a gross incompetence. That's you know, and some of it, I think, if you look at um, leaving the Paris Accords, I didn't feel that that was something that Trump uh, was doing because he is uh, there's any ideology behind it. I think he's doing it because he wants to be liked by his base. So. So there, there's not. It, it's not like if I, if I were, if I were to select a libertarian to be president, it'd probably be Roger, Roger Paxton, because Roger is probably the most philosophically grounded libertarian that I know, uh, and I think that he, he would make a lot of these same diplomatic choices that Donald Trump is making, but Roger would actually do it with purpose. Well, you couldn't force me to be president, Chris. I mean, there's no way in the world in the world I would take the job, other than I, to dismantle the state completely. That would be the I only way that I would do it. So if I Roger, you, Roger, if, if you were if you were president, should we suck up to the government then or, or not? No, I mean, because <laughs> the only reason that I would be president ever would be to sign one executive order dismantling the state. I mean, absolutely everything that's going on in Washington right now. And Chris, you allude to the fact that Trump is, you know, he's not part of the establishment. Bullshit. Trump has been a part of the establishment for decades. He has been hobnobbing and, and giving money and making backroom deals with these folks for decades. Trump is as much a part of those backroom deals and that establishment as any other politician in Washington. Just because he's never held a political office means nothing. He actually probably has more power than most of those politicians because he's got the money that makes those politicians talk. So saying that Trump is not, is, is, is not a part of the establishment is just utter bullshit. With all due respect, you're completely wrong because yeah, he has hobnobbed. <laughs> this is why Washington I brought you two guys on. I'm gonna go put go on mute for a few minutes so you guys just go right. to town. <laughs> but the fact is, is that Donald Trump has not been liked by any of the political establishment. The people that he hired to run his campaign were not part of the Washington establishment. Many of them were complete outsiders and outcasts like Roger Stone. He Roger was a, Stone has been part of the establishment for decades, too. What are you talking about? <laughs> 19, when 1996, when he was caught in a sex scandal ring, he was kicked out of the party, and he was so 
far outside of politics that he was managing a libertarian presidential campaign in 2012. Roger that, Stone invented Roger Stone invented the establishment. He invented all of this. He is ab- the original godfather of it. To say he it, is not part of the establishment is just like saying Trump is not part of the establishment. It's bullshit. And Trump, you know, people may not like Trump, but that doesn't matter. They like his money, and that's what matters, and that's what buys influence in Washington. If you read David K. Johnston's book, The Making of Donald Trump, you recognize and realize by this is one of the greatest reporters in history, a former tax writer for The New York Times. David K. Johnston outlines how the, 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 the myth, essentially, that Donald Trump is rich. Yes, Donald Trump has a lot of assets, but Donald Trump is not liquid, and Donald Trump doesn't have nearly as much money as he claims he has. And that, that's he, beside the point. That means nothing. He still gives money and lots of money to to political parties and has for a long time. So just he, because he may not have billions in liquid money, he still has assets, but he still has enough money that that money has bought influence. Political you, power is what have you done for me lately? And everybody who was on Team Trump and Donald Trump himself had not done very much politically in the last decade and were not very well connected in those respects. They were not part of the current political power structure. They worked from outside the power structure because they were considered freaks. They were all nuclear. Roger Stone got kicked out of the Republican Party in 1996 when he got caught going to sex clubs in Miami. And he was persona non grata after that because he greatly embarrassed the Bob Dole campaign. If you watch Get Me Roger Stone on Netflix. Amazing documentary, by the way. It's an amazing documentary. Roger Stone, if he were part of the Washington establishment, would not have been helping Gary Johnson in 2012. He would not have been there when we were in Las Vegas. Like, that's just the fact. And, you you know, as much as we want – the Libertarian Party is just not a bastion of power, Roger. You know that. Oh, of course not. But, you know, the Roger Stone documentary is exactly why I am so glad that I have completely removed myself from the shackles of, of democracy and politics because it is an absolute sham and it shows you all of the dirty dealings that goes on on a daily basis. And, yeah, Roger Stone is probably one of the worst, but there are people on both sides just like Roger Stone doing that in every major election. And it is disgusting. And the fact that we're, you know, acting like this shit matters, like it really makes a difference in our daily lives is just sad. I couldn't give a shit less whether, you know, Donald Trump got us out of the the Paris climate talks because that means nothing to me. How is that going to affect me on a daily basis? It's not. That's that's the ins and outs of it. So, Roger, where do you think libertarians or really human beings in general, uh, should be really focusing their attention politically. I mean, obviously you, you moved with your feet. You just, you know, had enough of, of your situation and, and just moved somewhere where there were more like-minded people around you. Do you think that you're able to, you know, even, you know, even though you're moving to somewhere, you moved to somewhere in New Hampshire where people already maybe were more inclined to agree with you. Do you think you're able to have greater influence there even within that sphere because of that? Or do you think it's more a situation where you're just, you're, you're going somewhere where people, you know, generally agree with you. So are you influencing as much in that point as opposed to just joining a situation that's more amenable to you? You know, I spent over a decade in Arkansas banging my head against the wall, trying to work with the Libertarian Party, got them ballot access for the first time in Libertarian Party history, um, you know, ran dozens of candidates, and it got us literally nowhere. So, yeah, I moved up to New Hampshire to be around like-minded people 
to really, instead of dealing with all of that day-to-day politics, it really doesn't affect our lives. I am working daily to affect true liberty in the life of myself and my family. And I'm doing that not through the political process, but by, you know, creating these communities with other like-minded people and, and just affecting that change that we want to see in our own lives instead of expecting somebody else to do it for me or, you know, voting for the same guy that I voted for for the last 20 years and getting nowhere we're actually doing it. You know, the the motto of the Free State Project is liberty in our lifetimes, and that's what we're going for. And the great thing about doing it here is that, you know, we've already got 4,500, 4,600 people, uh, libertarians in the state, identified as, as signing the Free State Project pledge that are already here in the state. And we're all doing it differently. You know, I'm doing media, and I'm working a little bit with the Libertarian Party, and I'm, you know, working with uh, free markets and things like that in the state. But some people go to the state house every day. Some people, you know, write letters to the editor. Everybody does something different here. And all of that effective work together, hopefully, will make liberty in our lifetimes. Liberty. What's the state of liberty in Indiana, um, Spangle there? I mean, because we, we actually talked about this on, on the podcast a few months ago. The subject came up of what's the, what are the most and least libertarian states? And uh, obviously, I live in one of the least. I don't think there's any question. I live out here in California. And I think we all pretty much agreed if you're going to pick a most libertarian state, uh, Roger's the winner here. I mean, I don't, it's really hard to argue against New Hampshire with, with well, all, all of the laws they have. Yeah, Cato puts out their yearly uh, Freedom in the 50 States guide, and, and this year, New Hampshire was number one again. Last year, I think they were number two. The year before that, number one. But New Hampshire's always you know, one or two, and we'll be number one again because now we have legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, the House, uh, where the governor, just, the governor just signed a bill um, deregulating Bitcoin completely, meaning that the government has no say-so in Bitcoin at all. It's the freest state in the country right now um, in relation to Bitcoin laws. Of course, we just passed open carry, the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, constitutional carry this year as well. I mean, it's been a bang-up a bang up year for liberty in New Hampshire. Roger, how much of the – how much – your actions have contributed to that and you're in the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Well, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire now has more sitting state reps than all the other 49 states combined. We have two sitting liberty uh, libertarian state reps and um, are working on several others that we hopefully will, will having, have switching over in the next few months. Um, we had one switch over from the Republican Party, one switch over from the Democrat Party. Again, proving that point that libertarians, they're not neocons who like pot and they're not, you know, liberals who who are fiscally conservative. No, I mean, it's it's it, we pull from both. So I, I, I guess I just don't understand the disc. Connect where you you lecture all of us that we shouldn't care about global or national politics, but then you're touting you know political accomplishments in your own state that you have personally contributed to. And I'm not diminishing your work. I'm proud of you guys. And we actually gave you guys a shout out on the last uh, We Are Libertarians. Yeah. But you're you're an absolute example of why people should care about political action. No, no what and I so, said is people shouldn't care about what's going on in Washington because that doesn't affect you on a day-to-day basis. Local politics absolutely does. No question about it. Get active in your local cities and towns. Get active in your counties. And potentially, in some states, get active in your state. Like in New Hampshire, we have 400 state reps. You can actually make some change with that um, because you know, you've know you got a bunch of citizen you – know, the, the uh, Free State Project members – or well, we don't have members. We have participants, but Free State Project participants have been elected to the state house over and over and over again. We've elected dozens of them over the years to the state house. So, yes, yeah, state and local politics, sure, you can affect some change there. But 
with what's going on in Washington, it's an it's an absolute cesspool. Nothing is ever going to change there that's going to make a hill of beans to me. What I want to worry about is New Hampshire and getting us the hell out of the United States. But don't you think that most people, their interest begins at the national level, what most people swim in in that national pool. You and I both came to the Libertarian Party probably because of something that was a national issue that motivated us. Why would we not talk about those national and global issues that motivate people to capture those new people and then funnel them down to the great work that you're doing? Bingo. Well, because I, because it doesn't make a difference. Explain to people, hey, everything going on in Washington isn't going to change your life. That's what we need to be doing. Instead of you know, encouraging them to be involved in Washington politics, which is just an absolute fuck – it's just a fucking disaster. Get them out of that shit. Get them involved in their local politics. Move to New Hampshire. Actually make a difference in your state. And hopefully, hopefully we'll start seeing states secede. Maybe California will be first. <laughs> this conversation actually plays into a question that I want to address in a minute. Uh, it's actually one of the letters of liberty that we have. So why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we're going to take some letters of liberty from fans. We're going to bounce some ideas around and uh, keep this thing going. And uh, in the meantime, a quick word from today's sponsors while Roger sips some more of his Johnny Walker Black. <laughs> I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options, and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at MartinArmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal, to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, MartinArmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now for a limited time, their prices are even more insane as MartinArmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to MartinArmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's MartinArmory.com. The promo code is LIONS. All right, guys, we are back, and uh, I think it's time to dig into the old Liberty Mailbag, because, yes, it's time to answer some letters of Liberty. This is another Letters of Liberty song. That last one I wrote was a downer. It somehow just fell wrong. The lions said they didn't like it. I'm not sure if that's true. So I'm going to keep on writing till I find the one they do. And the first letter actually comes from uh, somebody. Uh, this name sounds familiar, actually. This first question is from John Odermatt. <laughs> and, uh. and John Odermatt asks. This, this is as corrupt as Washington. <laughs> right, right. Cronious to the core here at Lions of Liberty. Uh, but John actually had a question for me. And this ties into this conversation we were having before the break, as I said. John asks me, Mark, if California passes universal health care, Will you finally get up and leave California? And it's actually a very good question because, look, I mean, when I moved to California, I hate aging myself, about 14 years ago. uh, Whoa. Whoa. Hello. Um, You know, I I 
politics was not on my mind. I was not totally apolitical. I kind of was into politics, but certainly had nothing to do with my decision-making whatsoever. I merely came here to work in the television industry, to uh, live in nice weather, and uh, that was about you know the, the crux of my, my thinking process. But obviously, over time, as my interest in libertarian ideas has developed, uh, and the politics of California has continued to uh, very rapidly move in an extremely progressive direction, yeah, it becomes difficult, especially the more money I make in that process, the more I see those taxes. And California has the highest, and as you guys know, many of you guys know, listeners of this program, this is a really good segue from Wednesday's show of Electric Liberty Land last week, when Brian spent 40 minutes going on a rant about how California is is the worst state ever, uh, especially for someone with libertarian beliefs. Uh, so, yeah, obviously this, this stuff is a, a really big conflict for me. As I said, when I see that money coming out of my paycheck, when I see that money every time I make a purchase, because it's got the highest sales tax in the nation. Uh, but you know, when I th- think about these things on a grander scale, when I think about life and and kind of what what makes us happy and what what makes us kind of do things, what what drives us, politics is a portion of that. Uh, but it's not the be all end all, and, and it, it may be some for more people than others. But for me, the the net object is overall happiness. And for me, that you know, I I don't want to let the politics hinder my other areas of happiness. I mean, I have roots, more roots here now than I do even on the East Coast where I grew up. Uh, I have a career here that if I if I remove it from Los Angeles, I'm not necessarily going to make anywhere close to what I make here in Los Angeles uh, if I if I moved somewhere else in the country. Or I wouldn't even necessarily be able to get a similar job in a similar industry or that similar kinds of work. So there's a lot of factors here, but uh, to, to really think about it in a bigger picture, I, I think about, okay, what's like the most extreme thing or what are the most extreme things I can consider. And and I think to myself, like, what if I got a, an offer to, to go do an amazing job in television production and it's in com it's in China. And it's which is obviously uh one place that is at least uh you know even more status than California, if you can believe that. I, I think we can probably agree on that. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I prop is, and if the opportunity was awesome enough, I would do it. I would absolutely go move to China for the right opportunity. So, you know, it, it, where I live sucks in many ways and it's fucking awesome in many ways and the political side of that is probably going to continue to suck there might even be a breaking point i don't know i mean yeah if my ta- if my sales and income taxes double that might be the breaking point uh yeah, but- so let, let me so that, i'm glad you brought that up so maybe that's a more specific question something that's measurable a measurable impact uh to kind of gauge you there um to kind of uh, zero in on something so what tax rate <laughs> would would you leave California to pay for this universal health health care? What if they up their taxes to seventy percent? Yeah, I'd probably leave. Would you leave? Yeah, how, 60, how could I how could I pay seventy percent income tax is and it, then and then pay my federal taxes? I mean, yeah, there's is, a point isn't where that what makes, would happen though to pay for you. I mean, how are they going to? It's more than the entire state budget. How are they going to pay for it? I don't know. They're already four hundred billion dollars, you know, short. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to pay for it. I have no idea. They don't know either. The best part of this bill that, that is actually going through the California House, it already went through the House. There's, there, It's not even like, oh, we, do, we don't think they have it fully planned out. They didn't even bother to try to put even the, a sentence in the bill about how it would be paid for. But uh, currently, the, the cost of it is estimated about $400 billion or so, I think, which is uh, already more than the, I think, the total debt that California is in, that the, the unfunded obligations. Brian broke all of this down on last week's Electric Liberty Land, so go ahead and check that out. The, the, the point I'm trying to get to, gentlemen, and, and this can be the crux of our, our, our conversation here, is, I mean, how much, obviously, Ro- Roger's got one answer, I mean, from his own life, that I think works out. 
But it also, I mean, it, it plays into your overall happiness, Roger. You're happier in New Hampshire for a variety of reasons, politics being one of them. Uh, but, I mean, how much do we factor in politics into where we live? I think in the case of Odie, and I, I believe your case is similar, Chris, I think you guys pretty much live where you grew up. And so maybe that's a factor, too, because that's where your roots are. But uh, how do you guys see this? I mean, are are there points where the, the place you live could get so politically intolerable uh, that you would that you would actually pick up and leave based solely on the politics? And well, I, think- I left I left my county in Arkansas the year after our county taxes became the highest in the state and the highest in the area. Um, so, yeah, taxes do have a huge impact on me. Um, I moved to a state now that has no state income tax, no sales tax except well, no sales tax except on prepared foods and hotels. Everything else is completely tax free. Of course, I still have to pay the federal you know theft. But but so I moved up here. My tax burden dropped dramatically. Now, of course, we do have you know higher than average. Uh, property taxes, but my, my tax burden still dropped dramatically. But Mark, I assume that you don't have kids. Do you mind if I ask? I have two Huskies. Does that count? <laughs> no, no, because they don't pay taxes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I but, do not have human children. You know, one of the reasons I moved up here is is for me, yes, I'd love to have actual liberty in my lifetime, but primarily I did it and, of course, do it for the children. But I did. I really, you know, I had to get them out of the corrupt, uh, the corrupt politics, the, the high crime area. So, New Hampshire was just a perfect fit for us because I can bring them up here where they can actually have an impact on their own liberty in their own lives. And they already are. I mean, my, my kids are, are agorists. I mean, they, so we have these free markets around the state and my kids sell stuff at these markets and make money. They bought an Xbox, an Xbox one out of it. They, you know, just spent several hundred dollars on a chicken coop and a chicken run and chickens um, because they wanted some chicken. And so they made the money themselves to do this. Um, and so my children are already doing this. And this, that's why I moved up here. So do it for the children. You're using slave labor in your house to have your children uh, raise chickens? Is that what I heard? <laughs> they, wanted, they wanted to raise the chickens, and they're going to sell the eggs <laughs> for their own profit. So. I kid, I kid. Paxton created his own Somalia. They ha- they, just have to, go. they just have to pay a very reasonable tax to the the Roger Paxton fund, and then they're allowed to continue their chicken business. <laughs> well, I mean, rent is not out of the question if they start making more money than I do. Just say it. Well, that, there you go. That makes I, I, I guess, and and this is one reason that I love Roger, and and it's one reason that you know I uh, I have pushed his show forever because he and I have just such different worldviews and we're both libertarians we both you know want everyone to live as free as possible but we have such different like views on things and outlooks like for me i uh i just i guess i don't take politics so seriously as roger does as much as he says he doesn't take it seriously like for me i i'm having been a part of it and having worked in politics and in the political structure as a paid job for you know almost 10 years uh, prior to what I'm doing now, it just it's like it's you see the comedy of errors at such a, uh, a, a high and you just don't get as like worked up over it because it's just like these people can't mess anything up <laughs> like. Well, well one but, thing, Chris, you said that I take politics you know, seriously. And and I used to, you're right. I absolutely used to, but I don't anymore. I take liberty seriously and I do whatever it takes to, to achieve that liberty. Um, you know, working within the system is something that I rarely do anymore. I basically became the vice chair of the libertarian party here, essentially to help out Daryl Perry, who wanted to take over a dead party because it was completely dead here, just like it was in Arkansas when I took over, you know, many years ago. And he, he asked me to help him out, help him, you know, get it, get the ball rolling. And I've done that. So after that mission is over, I'm not going to be running for for that for that position again. I've done it uh, now for a year and a half. Um, so after wait, I'm wait, done, uh, 
Let me jump in there. The Libertarian Party was dead in New Hampshire, the Free yes. State Project. It was- because, because the leadership made it that way. And it was the same way in Arkansas. We had to basically commit a coup in both states. I did it in Arkansas and here uh, to, to get the old, effective, unaffected leadership out of the way. And then immediately after we did that, things started happening in the state because there's no reason why New Hampshire should not have the strongest Libertarian Party in the country. There's no question. We've got 4,600 uh, Libertarians here who've signed a pledge saying I will affect the the greatest possible you know part of my life to achieving liberty in the state. We should have the strongest one in the country. Yeah. So basically, Roger is the Fidel Castro of libertarianism. <laughs> <laughs> He's. Uh, but yeah, for me, I would never. I was going to go Che Guevara, but I mean, it's it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for Shea me, Paxton. And, and and uh, I don't want people to get the impression that just because Roger and I are having heated arguments that I, I love and respect Roger. And I think he it's a shame that he doesn't want to be involved in the political process because clearly he's very gifted at it. He's very good at it. And he's very good at organizing people um, uh, for me. Well, I mean, I think he is involved in the political process. He's just uh, doing it in, at a different focus at a different level. I mean, you know, I can't blame someone for not giving a shit about the, the drama surrounding national politics, especially when they're focusing so heavily on on their local politics, which at the end of the day, like we said earlier, that's what's going to affect your uh, life in the, the most immediate way. Right. And this is and, and so we just focus on different things. And so I uh, I would never get mad at local taxes to the point that I would move to a different state. Like I, I wouldn't even tell I couldn't even tell you what local taxes, you know, I, I follow it, but I'm just not as. I don't get worked up over that stuff. Uh, for me, it's about the personal relationships. I live where I grew up because this is where all my friends are. This is where my family is. And Indiana is, you know, you asked about the state of liberty in Indiana. It's it's a very red state. It's controlled by Republicans. It's got a lot of, you know, uh, uh, I'm a Christian, but it's got a lot of perverted Christian nonsense in, embedded in law. Uh, from a hundred years ago, and uh, the Republicans just do a lot to reinforce that. Um, and in Indiana, there the but the taxes are low. The uh, ability to start a business here is very good. We have a lot of industry here, and so you know it's not a bad place to live. It is. Uh, it has a really solid movement of libertarians uh, of all varieties. Like the Liberty Fund is located here. Uh, the Advocates for Self Government was located here for a while. You know, so we do have a great little nexus of libertarians. So it is a great place. So if you're not going to move to New Hampshire, if you're not ready for full throttle, uh, you know, 96 octane liberty in New Hampshire, then come get some uh, nice 93 octane in Indiana. (laughs) But so what can't you do in Indiana because of those crazy laws is like, you know, hand holding band or or. Heavy petting. What what, what kind there's of crazy actually, laws are there's still actually in place? A story, there's a story I saw recently out in Indiana that libertarians are holding a a drink in because there's a change with the beer laws. Yeah. We can't carry out a six pack. What's what's going yeah. on there? Yeah. So the there is some uh, the the liquor laws here in Indiana are so crazy. You can't buy alcohol on Sunday. I think only Connecticut still uh, doesn't allow that, but I think they may have lifted that now. Oh, uh, so I, I spent three weeks in Utah last year. Yeah, that's another one. Okay. You can, uh, although there might be, I, I was in Provo, Utah, which is you know might be different than the rest of the state because that is the kind of the hardcore uh, LDS territory. So I don't know if it applies to the whole state, but I, you can barely like walk on the street on Sunday in that that part of Utah. 
Yeah, so Indiana is a lot like that. And in the liquor laws here, you if you are a brewery, you have to carry food. And so if you go to any brewery, you know, we have a lot of micro brews because this is a great place to grow hops. Uh, and so you can you can order like hot pockets off the menu because it's it's a 70 year law <laughs> that you must carry food. And so somehow Ricker's convenience store got classified as a restaurant and they can serve cold packaged liquor. And uh, bars that have, you know, basically bought off politicians here to make sure that you don't get cold carry out here in Indiana unless you're a liquor store. The liquor stores are all closed on Sunday. They don't want big box stores to start carrying cold liquor. But somehow Rickers, which is like a convenience store chain, managed to get cold carry out. And so they just changed the law to to keep them from doing that. And so libertarians in Bartholomew County are having a drink in. So everybody's going to go to the Rickers, the gas station and get drunk. So which is a, a long Indiana pastime. Just go to the gas station and get drunk with your friends. Sounds very much like Arkansas. Absolutely. Roger knows it well. Yeah, Indiana is right. the southern state in the north, basically. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, Odie, you might actually have an interesting perspective there, because when we, uh, not when we first met, we knew each other years before from college, but when we first started talking about the ideas of liberty, that was when you lived here in California, and you since uh, moved back to Pennsylvania. So uh, did you, did, was that a factor at all? I mean, I know you moved back because your, your job ended out here, so I mean, that was probably the logical place for you to go back to, but did you, do you notice any, I mean, does, do you use your life affected at all by the politics of California versus Pennsylvania? I mean, or is it? It's just more of a life decision. I, I, I don't think the local politics always affects people as much as as much as we might want to might want to think. Because let's be honest, none of us live in, in a libertarian utopia. The utopia. Roger might be the closest, but I mean, you know, none of us are there. It's 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 funny you bring that up because I was just <clears throat> excuse me, just remembering back to a uh, to to when I moved away from California and my like my last time going out hanging out with you and Brian. Brian was so mad at me for leaving California that he wouldn't say goodbye. <laughs> he just stor- he just stormed off and walked down the street. It was that is hilarious. <laughs> it was I fantastic. That. But I yeah, that, that, I don't know. That was a that was a complicated decision. A lot was going on, and ultimately, I, I just decided to move back home, closer to family. And there were some good job opportunities, which ended up panning out. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. The thing about California was when I lived there, and part of it was I was always traveling to the beach to hang out with you guys, or I was going to Palm Springs to hang out with friends there. It was just I, I just didn't have any money. I was just spending all of my money. My savings account was was nothing. So I think that's something that a lot of people battle with in California, just because everything is so freaking expensive. Government aside, I mean, you want to get a freaking double Jack Daniels, you're gonna pay what like what do you pay sixteen bucks at the bar, something like that? It's ridiculous. Not unheard of. <laughs> but so Pennsylvania, I mean, and Pennsylvania is not that far behind. California, it's it's pretty bad. You talk about liquor laws. Pennsylvania is just now starting to sell liquor and wine and grocery stores. That all was segregated. There were beer distributors and state stores because the state controlled all the alcohol. That's finally changing, which is nice. But what I look at mainly, the things that would make me leave, I guess it's three different things. Um, if my taxes got way too high, a combination of local, state, and federal of Obviously, federal wouldn't matter where I moved, but if local and state got too high, I could leave. If they try to take my right to to bear arms away, if they try to take my guns from me, I'll get the hell out of here. And if they pass some laws that make it difficult to open a business or or something like that. So I I guess I'll break it down to lawyers, guns, and money, that Warren Zevon song. That's what would make me uh, leave Pennsylvania. 
then like, where do you go? I guess you'd have to move to New Hampshire. That's the only option left for you. I guess. I guess. I don't. I don't know. I Roger, don't know. how so, many spare bedrooms you got? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, the, the compound that we just bought has not only our main living area, but it has a, an attached in-law suite and a house in the back, both of which we rent out um, to porcupines who are trying to move up here. So, uh, so, so, you know, they're both full right now, but we might have a bed soon. All right. That's good to know. Uh, I want to move on to another letter of liberty. This one comes from a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, our paid support group. His name is Victor Hugo, and uh, he asks... He says, because of last Felony Friday show, although I don't think it's the last one now by the time this is airing, probably a couple weeks ago, but he, and Odie, maybe you'll, you'll know what story he's referencing here, but Vitor asks, do you think that not aiding an injured person is a crime? And on the surface, I, I think we would almost all agree no, but, uh, maybe in the context of the story he's referring to, it, it might get a little more dicey. Odie, can you, can you catch up us, up, us up to speed there? Okay. So, so I think that, uh, that he's referring to the the Penn State death that we talked about, the death in the fraternity, where the fraternity guys basically um, ignored one of their pledges uh, who, after he fell down the steps and injured himself and was obviously uh, concussed and had bruises all over him. They didn't call an ambulance, didn't call for help until the next morning, like 1030 in the morning, after this guy fell down the steps multiple times the night before the first fall at like 11 p.m. or something like that. And... So to address the question, do, do I think what was the question again? Do I think that not aiding someone should never be, or what was what was the question again? Do you think that not aiding an injured person is a crime? He yes. said it to me earlier, so I've got it in front of me. <laughs> yes, Roger. With the uh, I almost um, said you're with your perfect memory, but you just admitted that you read it. So yeah. <laughs> to to answer the question, do I think that not aiding someone could be a crime? Uh, yes, 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 I do, and um, it, it's hard to really. I guess not when you, if you found somebody who would, uh, or just to, to use this example, if you see somebody fall down steps and you see, they hit their head on a step and they're, they're woozy, they're stumbling around as a human being, you should have a, at least a basic understanding. If you're not a child, if you're an adult, you understanding that's not a good thing. That is an injury that can lead to death. So by just allowing someone who is not, does not have their wits about them, does not have the ability to maybe, call 911 or get themselves to a hospital, I think at that point in time, by not intervening and helping them, um, even if everyone else is ignoring it too, um, I, I think I think that's a problem. And I think that that should be a crime. And I think ultimately you, you should do time for that. So, John, do you think that I'm a slave to somebody else? Do you think that somebody else should should that I should be required to do something against my will or go to jail. Is that basically what you're saying? No, that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think you're a slave to anyone else, but to use another example, a story that was posted in our forum this past week, there was a story, I forget what state it was in. Um, but there was, I think might have been Arkansas, actually, now that I think about it, um, there was a, uh, a guy who, went over to the uh, the mother of his children's house. He wasn't living at the house. I guess he forced his way in, and he was attempting to drown two of the little babies in the bathtub. And a neighbor, actually someone else in the house, ran out and got a neighbor, and the neighbor came into the house and shot this man as he was trying to kill these children. So, I mean, I would turn that around to you, is that should that guy who broke in and saved these two babies' lives, should that man... Go to jail? Of course not. No. 
Well, those no are kind of different things, though. One is saying, "Are you going to go to? Are you going to be a criminal for not taking an action?" And the other is so, taking an action. So, ba- so basically, what John well, is that saying he, is he that I is that I should an action though. He could have he could have stood back. Well, so I guess I guess the yeah, the but question, would, would you yeah, send him to jail, jail for not, not taking that? That's action. not hundred percent apples to apples. So I see what well, you're one, saying. But one thing you have to understand is that every law, everything that makes you a criminal, is backed up by the threat of death. So I guess the question to you, John, do you think that I should die for not helping somebody else? Because that's essentially what we're saying. Because if men with guns, you know, come take me, come to take me away, and I don't want to go with them because I didn't want to help somebody who was, you know, hurt or whatever, then they will kill me. So basically, you're saying that I should die for not helping somebody. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't help others who are in need? Of course not. Absolutely, I think that it's a moral thing to do to help people who are in need. But I don't think, but I think it's completely immoral to to require that someone help somebody else. I mean, how do you know? How do you know that that person who was, you know, faking who was stumbling or, or whatever may have been faking and then they were going to try to rob somebody or that they were going to kill you. I mean, to put me in that position, to force me to be in that position is completely immoral. Let's, let's take this up an, another level and get even, even more, more, more intense. Yeah, so, let's. <laughs> so let's everyone if, take a sip uh, of their booze some, right now. If, except, if except, somebody's uh, not feeding their children, if somebody's not feeding their children, um, can they be arrested? Should they be, should they, Getting, the, should the kids be taken away from them in any scenario? Of Liberty should, people, partying now. Oh, yeah. should people be allowed to starve their children and face no penalty? That and, and so this is a tough one. This is Come on, one Roger, just been... say yes, starve your kids. We all want no, no, you no, to. I mean, I'm just kidding. Look, Come on. look, I think that a, it's a horrible human being who would do something like that to their child. Absolutely no question about it. Do I think that the, a person who does that should should face some ramifications? Sure. If my neighbor, if I knew for a fact that my neighbor was starving their child, would I violate the non-aggression principle and go over there and take that child from them? You're goddamn right I would in a second because that's a an, an innocent human being and that's a child. But do I think that men with guns should come and kill that person for it? Never. See, I don't think – to me, you're not violating the non-aggression principle then because to me, when it becomes to like – a child, you know, if I if I don't feed a homeless guy on the street, that's very clear to me. I don't. I, that's not a crime. I'm allowed to not feed the homeless guy. When I have a child and I am keeping that child in my home, and I, I'm basically taking that responsibility for that life. If I'm not feeding that child, then to me that is that is an action of aggression because. If I can't, if I don't have the money or I don't want to feed the child, I can let the child go. I can send the child somewhere else. I can tell the world sure. I can't take care of this kid. But to me, once you're accepting that child in your home and keeping it there, if you're keeping him there and not allowing access to food, you actually are imprisoning the child. You actually are committing an act of aggression. So I wouldn't consider you going over there and freeing them. I would, con- I would not consider that an act of aggression. I would consider that an act in defense well, of the child. I think that it would still be an act of aggression, but it might be a moral act of aggression. I mean, the non-aggression principle is a principle, but it doesn't mean that it can't be broken. For example, if my child were going to run out in the middle of the street in front of a car that was going 90 miles an hour, I would grab my child as forcefully as I could, even to the point of breaking their arm if I had to, to stop them. Now, did I violate the non-aggression principle against my child? Absolutely. Was it moral? Absolutely. Spangle. I want to hear your take. I don't feel that you have a duty to protect other people. I don't feel that you are compelled to protect other people. But the main reason that I would never vote for this as a law, let's say if I were a state rep, is because in these moments where you are in a drunken frat party and someone falls down and dies, and then the law holds whomever culpable, the law wasn't there. (laughs) And... 
you you could have there's such a high threshold for innocent people being charged with a crime that they didn't commit when there's even doubt that it is a crime. So th- that would be why I would vote against it. Should I be a legislator? Um, just because let, I just let, let me ask another question because I, I forgot I forgot to tell this part of the story because yeah, this was I, a part of that. I Penn do want to put story. this back back into the context of the initial story because I think the context does make this a little bit of a different situation possibly. Because th- there was one individual who wanted to call the police, and he was he was told not to, and he was essentially pushed out. I think it was made to leave the house. Now he still could have called the called you know called for help, called the ambulance from outside the house, and he didn't. He just left, I guess. But Indiana has something called a lifeline law, which essentially allows anybody under the age of twenty one to call the police if there's an emergency and there will be no legal repercussions towards anybody underage drinking, anybody using drugs in an effort to save somebody's life. So that to me, that was sponsored here in Indiana by Jim Merritt, a state senator, and uh, has has really, uh, they've made a huge push in uh, educating college kids. So these sorts of things don't happen. And, and this I believe is cl- that was the reasoning that they that they did not call for help because they were all afraid that they were going to get the whole party busted for underage drinking, and they were afraid that they were going to go to now some of them aren't going to go to jail anyway because of it. But in their minds, this guy just hurt himself; he's going to sleep it off, and we can save ourselves from from all this trouble. So if the if the threat of the trouble wasn't there, I mean, I, you can almost see where Absolutely. this started. If that threat wasn't there, they they obviously I think would have called for help. It's not that they weren't concerned; it's that they were more concerned about the the possible threat of violence that. Would would come to them for helping. Right. right. They so were, now, so now making it has a similar law, so- but I'm not sure the, the breadth of the law, how much it covers, if it were to cover illegal drug act- activity or, 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 or what the scope of it is. But I, I don't think that these kids even knew about that law, so they weren't educated about it. But this is what government does so often, where it passes an immoral law and then passes the uh, the immorality off to the, the blame of the immorality off to other people where these kids are at fault. And, you know, the the re- the very real cost here, it doesn't who gives a shit about if they go to jail or face a fine or get a felony or whatever. They have to live with the, the emotional consequences of this decision for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. They have to live with the social yeah. uh, outcast status that follows them for the rest of their life. It doesn't matter how much good Laura Bush did in her lifetime, in, in her role in, in literacy and things like that. She still contributed to the death of a minor when she was a minor. You know, that that stigma follows you forever. And uh, the government is culpable in this because of these these immoral laws. And secondly, you know, the cost to these kids is so much more than uh, any kind of legal retribution. So I, I, I and that's why the second reason that I would never vote for a law like this is that the, the just the very real human t- uh, um, reaction that most people are going to help. And if they don't, then they have to live with the consequences of that decision. Uh, Jen, and the, the, the more I think about this, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you guys, but I do think probably the best way to handle this would be in the civil courts and to, you know, actually bring that case to court. And I know, you know money's not going to bring this kid back to life, but you know, that, that is a consequence that, and that's going to mean a lot more and that can help the family a lot more, at least with, you know, expenses and, and uh, paying for a funeral and things like that. So you're saying they should be able these to kids in cages is, is going to do in the first place. So you're saying these kids should owe some sort of financial restitution to the family of the kid that died. 
Yes. If, <laughs> but, but again, you're, 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 you're casting a, a you're making these kids if, slaves. If they so forced, if they forced him to drink alcohol. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. There is more context here because oh, this okay. was so a, now that, now right. that I have not heard. Right. And that's I, what I, sorry. Yeah. I, I left that out. This was a, it was a, a bit acceptance night. It was a, a, a hazing, you know, it was a, it was forceful alcohol drinking, um, not, not forceful at the point of a gun where we're going to, you know, we're going to hurt you unless you do that. Well, maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was, we're going to hurt you. I don't think it was, we're going to kill you unless you do this, but you know, the threat and the peer pressure in that moment on a college student, um, that in itself saying you have to take 10 shots so, in an hour. So I guess peer pressure should be illegal now too. We should be <laughs> making people financially responsible for peer pressure. Come on. I mean, people are only responsible for the actions of themselves. This kid, if he was not physically forced or, or threatened with harm, if he drank those that alcohol on his own just because of peer pressure, I'm sorry, again, you can't put his actions on someone else. So now, again, I would want to know if there was actual physical force or threat of violence in this situation, but there, if there, there was very well could there very well could have been a threat of, you know, not, not, uh, you know, massive violence, not, a uh, not, a uh, I don't think, you know, breaking bones or anything, yeah. but knowing the history of some fraternities at Penn state, there could have sure. been a threat of, of some sort of getting hit with something. I think at the end now, of the day, we do need to know the, the actual context that we probably will never know. If it's, if it's really just, Hey, you want to be in the fraternity, you got to drink these shots. Well, then that is kind of on the kid that drank the shots at the end of the day. Uh, but right. if it's, you need to drink these shots or I'm going to beat you with this paddle. Suddenly it gets a little dicier. I think. Well, and, and I agree with that. And again, now we're talking about, you know, degrees of, of injury. I mean, if it was just a paddling, you know, for a hazing in a, in a fraternity, that's one thing. But if it were something that could actually cause harm to this child, then absolutely those kids should be culpable for, for the force that they used to, for this kid to drink alcohol. But I don't even think, a, you know, threatening with a paddling in, in a hazing ritual would, would reach to that level. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, and I don't think there's necessarily a black and white answer. Once once violence has been introduced, then it becomes matters of degrees. And, you know, there. this is why even in the most freest of libertarianist societies, you're going to have courts to have to sort out uh, some of the nuance of these situations. Because it's even though the principles can be black and white, the application isn't always as black and white, especially once you introduce violence and, and that sort of thing. And what's the best way to, to mitigate this this problem here so it doesn't happen? End the prohibition. Yes. Bring this stuff out out of the freaking back alleys of society so people aren't drinking in secret. I mean, if any, if a normal party was ha- – like, let's say it was a normal a gathering of friends with nothing illegal going on, just adults like having drinks at their house. And my, let's say I have you guys over at, at my the Lions of Liberty Studios here. We're all drinking, or Spangle's not, but uh, Paxton just has a few Trust too me. many. I'm one <laughs> going to jail because of you guys. Yes, and, and Chris is like, Spangle's Shit. just taking heroin right to the vein. Spangle's <laughs> like, I spiked their punch. Am I going to be the one that goes to jail? Because Paxton fell down and cracked his skull open. Uh, <laughs> I forget where I was going with that analogy. Point, I'll, I'll drink to that one. <laughs> point being, if it wasn't the fear, the, the fear of them getting in trouble for some, something else, there's no doubt anybody in this situation where they saw someone get injured in their home would definitely call for help. So, like, we, I think we can all agree on the fact that the, the real cause of this is the prohibition. It is the threat, the initial threat of violence up that these kids were, were facing. And frankly, I don't even think you'd have extremes like, drinking hazing events if if there was no prohibition on alcohol because because the whole whole reason behind these drinking events it's it's this rebellious thing you're not supposed to do yeah also it's fun and we like drinking but part of it is the rebellion and that all gets taken away the second you remove the state and remove those laws absolutely i couldn't have said it better 
And I, I can definitely drink to that one. Roger so does not say that very often that he cannot have Cheers. said it better. So I will I will drink to that. <laughs> he was like, would you like to murder me? <laughs> like, <"Whoa." laughs> See, that's what I mean about the 96 versus 93 octane of liberty. I <laughs> Oh boy, I don't know what what octane I'm on right now. There's a secret I want to reveal to you guys, and I really did not want to admit it towards the beginning of the show. And I don't really want to talk about why this is in my house, but I actually have, <laughs> especially compared to what Roger's drinking over there, I actually have a bottle of Fireball whiskey <laughs> sitting next to me, oh. and, I, and I've had a couple sips. <laughs> oh, nice! I'm drinking a drink made for literally for twenty year old millennials right now. But um, well, welcome to the welcome to the boy club. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm drinking whiskey, so I think I get points for that, even if it is, yeah. you know, sort of sure. a, a a nice fruity, girly, cinnamony <laughs> whiskey. What is that uh, like? Forty proof there? Something like no, it's uh, <laughs> it's sixty six proof. Come on. Oh, sorry. Give me a break. Uh, what do you say? You guys want to do one more? I've got a, another. It's actually two questions that are sort of related, and uh, you know, I don't want to step on toes, but at the same time, <laughs> let's step on toes. Um, You're gonna cause problems with this one. Well, you I, know that, right? I don't even know whose toes we're gonna step on yet, but. I'm going to give you guys a double question and then we can talk about how we want to work these things in. Cause they might be some way semi related. Uh, David white. He asks, who's your favorite and least favorite celebritarian. Now to define a celebritarian, this would be someone who is not a pure celebrity. Um, so I would not classify someone who is a celebrity li- with libertarian views as a celebritarian. So it's someone that was would be a celebrity only for their libertarianism, if that makes sense. So I wouldn't consider Vince Vaughn someone who's a celebrity who has expressed some libertarian views. I would not call him a celebritarian because he's a celebrity first and foremost, um, if, if that makes sense with our definition. Uh, and then I also want to include this question from Matthew Brands. He says... If Celebrity Deathmatch were brought back, what would be the greatest libertarian versus statist matchup that would also be recognizable to the audience? So there's a couple different questions here, and uh, I, I don't even really expect necessarily answers, but I think we can just bullshit for a few minutes on the general idea of, of celebrities and uh, libertarianism and, and how this all inter interacts. But we can certainly hit the deathmatch thing if we, if we so like. So, Mark, can I, can I help you? Can I clarify your yeah. celebritarian definition? Would you sure. consider yourself a celebritarian? No, because I don't think I'm have the, enough of the celeb side of it. But it, well, okay. I guess it's all a matter of degrees. Sure, I mean, if there's if there's any amount of people that that look up to me as a figure, then I guess to some degree I would be. But you know, I, 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 w- I wouldn't I say I'm a high one. high level one. What's that? Yeah, Roger, would you consider him one? I would. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, if uh, I am, yeah. then we all are. That's pretty much okay. how that well, has well, to go. Well, if that's the case, then, unless then you're saying Banks- because of my gorgeous, stunning locks, I get that extra level of of celeb. Well, then, oh. my stunning, then my glorious, magnificent beard, as my boys call it, then that's uh, that gives me the same status. Well, fuck, <laughs> Chris, if that's the case, then I'm my favorite celebritarian, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> How can I love anyone more than myself? Yeah. Chris's hair is all on his ass, not his face. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But that's why, that's why I talk out of the most, and, you know, hair grows by CO2. So. Right, right. So so answering the question, if I had to pick a favorite celebritarian, it would have to be Chris Spangle, of course. Aww. <laughs> He's blushing over there. Of course he is. <laughs> He's an Indiana like, Red right now. And my least favorite is any celebritarian who who supported Trump or any of this alt right nonsense. Oh, Stefan yeah. Mollen, you, um, any of you know Chris Cantwell, any of those jackasses. Um, a- absolutely, if you're gonna you know jump on that train from libertarianism, then 
well, first of all, you I don't think you ever were an actual libertarian, but if you're going to use that term, then those are, in my book, the worst of the worst. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of them because I had almost written them off as even libertarian at this point. But if we're still counting any of those guys, I definitely go Cantwell because – you know, I think he's actually a very intelligent, uh, very smart guy who really understands libertarianism in many ways. But at some point, he said, "Fuck that! I'm just going to be a racist," and that's all he really he's, is right now. So he's he's, he's, up, he's up there. He's a cuck. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's a he's word that I can't cuck. stand, but that's a that's a good definition <laughs> for him for sure. Man, I have so many uh, favorites. Uh, I have so many that I dislike too, but uh, <laughs> I'm a very uh, emotional person. I I, I would say. I do really love the League of Liberty podcasters that we've got going. Meeting Mark and uh, Roger and uh, Johnny from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Getting to know you guys and cooperating with you guys. Comparing notes behind the scenes. like It, it has given me the uh, extra confidence that this can one day be a full-time job. That this can be a career for all of us. Um, so I definitely think you guys do an awesome job. I know how hard you guys work. And so you guys are definitely up there. Julie Borowski is somebody that, uh, while I may not always agree with philosophically, I like her and Tom Woods for the same reason. They're both happy people. And I think they're both very, like, you listen to Tom Woods, he's never unpleasant. Like, he just is a great communicator. Uh, she's a great communicator. And they're just always, like, pleasant. And I, I think sometimes libertarians kind of miss that mark. And I, I like Jeffrey Tucker for the same reason. Um philosophically probably the person that and this will probably drive roger crazy but david bose is probably the person uh that helped me learn the oh. most about <laughs> roger just just gargled up a little bit of his johnny walker into his under I mean, shirt <laughs> look i mean david bose sure he has done some great things for the libertarian you know revolution movement whatever you want to call it but you know anybody who can call themselves a libertarian and then write a book where they where they shit on you know, a large portion of libertarianism, i.e. anarchists. Uh, I mean, to me, that that really burns me. Of course it does. Right. But I love him. So, <laughs> well, no, I mean, so sure, my... I'm not discounting that. I mean, like I said, he's done a lot for the movement, but come on. I mean, somebody like him should know better for sure. I, I, I get you. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love there's so many. We're just fortunate to have so many like d a diverse group of great libertarians. The people that I don't like. Um, personally, right now I'm beefing with C. Michael Pickens. <laughs> uh, yeah, you are. We won't get into that because I don't want Roger to yell at me. Well, uh, I mean, the thing is, y'all are both right and both wrong. So I mean, that's course. just the way it is. Um, but I, I don't like Adam Kokesh. I think that he is a little too uh, aggressive, and I think that he is doing things for attention a lot of times instead of for the movement. Um, I think that he is just uh, he just takes it too far. A lot of times I I totally agree with Roger on the alt-right people. I don't want anything to do with those people. I don't want to be associated with those kind of people. I think Kentwell is uh, he, he just typifies the libertarian asshole that I just don't want to be around. Like I'd rather I'd much rather hang out with the James Weeks, who seems very jovial <laughs> than I would a uh, Chris Cantwell. So um, so, yeah, that that is those are my uh, my winners and losers of libertarianism. Odie, you got any thoughts here on on the celebritarians out there? Yeah, I, I think for my uh, I think for my favorite, I might be I might be stealing yours because I know you two have a little uh, back and forth man crush thing going on, <laughs> and it's uh, it's going to be Dave Smith. He's uh, I think he's he's oh, doing a great and, job. I thought, I thought you meant Roger and Chris had a back and forth man <laughs> love going on. 
Well, that I was, of course, that goes without that's saying. A lot, that's a lot of man love. I've spoken to Dave Smith once in my life. I don't know how he can have man love. Yeah, but he's I, always I like talking about at least a couple couple uh, months not ago. He was, he, he, was, he was name dropping Mark Claire. The show would be a lot bigger was, if he was always name dropping us. He has, he has Mark Claire, Mark Claire, this, Mark Claire's hair is so great. I love the way he smells. <laughs> it was it was getting weird. It's getting a little weird. I do smell pretty good. I mean, even though I've been sitting, speaking of how this is not a glorious thing, profession, for the last hour that we've been recording this, I've been sitting in a small back room of my house, sweating my balls off. So, you know, that's how dedicated I am to the cause of liberty and to drinking and to combining those two things at once. Uh, do we want to, do we want to take a stab at the celebrity deathmatch idea yes. real quick? Cause uh, I, I just, I don't know the state side. I have to think about it. I mean, one, one obvious one, he said not something like Rothbard versus Keynes, but uh, I mean like, like Ron Paul versus Krugman. Give me that. Or even Tom Woods versus Krugman. Give me that. But I don't know if they Bob, count as Bob celebrities. Bob Murphy versus Krugman will be even better. But yes. But does Murphy and Woods count as celebrities? Because it's a celebrity <laughs> Absolutely. death match. But no, they're not, though. Because come on. They're celebritarians. But would, would, like, does my mom know who they are? Like, no. <laughs> I think Tom Woods. I think Tom Woods might count as a libertarian. I think Bob Murphy's a little bit too esoteric. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. Well, yeah, he's but this kind is of, celebrity deathmatch. So our, I think we might have to go on a, on a higher level than even celebritarian. I guess that's what he's I'm too saying. jerk. Uh. Yeah, and that's what I meant. I said celebritarian, but I meant celebrity. I mean, Tom Woods has some, you know, New York Times bestselling books and, you know, things like that. So I think that Tom Woods could fit as a celebrity. He's on uh, the Bob Murphy probably not yet. Then mine is totally out the window because mine was Stalin as the ultimate statist because he killed so he killed I don't know if he killed more than it. I mean, but in the recent history, he's just the greatest statist of our time. Uh, Mao Zedong um, outpaced him on murders. Just saying. Oh, okay, all right. Well, but Stalin had a whole. He had a he had a big empire of of statism. He did. And, he did. And, but my celebrity is is not somebody that any of you are going to know. But he's a celebrity here in Indiana. His name is Rex Bell. And Rex is the most likable person on the planet. Uh, he wrote a great book called Stinky Shorts, and he's at rexbell.com. And Rex is just this folksy Hoosier older guy and just could charm the pants off of uh, Stalin. And I think that he would whimsically take Stalin right out and bring freedom to the USSR. <laughs> Oh, so I, I didn't I didn't know the rules of the game, so I failed it. Well, so we just I, made them up as we as we went. So, but to, uh, that's why I tried to make that celebritarian celebrity sort of uh, draw that line earlier because, you know, to me a celebrity is someone that like my non political neighbor would know who they are if I mentioned their name. You know what I mean? Right. But I don't know. There aren't really libertarian celebrities in that sense, unless you count like Vince Vaughn or or somebody like that who you know we can Drew debate. Perry. Drew Carey, people who've said nice things about libertarian ideas to some extent, but there's definitely not like a full Rothbardian or even Ron Paulian celebrity to, to the extent that they are truly bold with libertarian ideas. Well, I, I don't for, think how, that exists. How about, how, how about Drew Carey versus, how about Drew Carey versus um, Al Franken? There you go. Okay. <laughs> let's, yeah. For I, the I'd, fun I'd of the that. game, let's make it because the listeners at this point and the, uh, they're, they're hardcore libertarians. So they're, make it celebritarians. Who would you guys battle? What celebritarian would you battle against the greatest statist of our time? Tom Woods, hands down. I mean, the guy's knowledge. Well, I say Tom Woods, I mean, because of his knowledge and his, his personality. But I think if I had to pick a, an intellectual libertarian right now, it would probably be Stefan Kinsella. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he is at the top. Of, he's at the pinnacle of libertarian thought right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I would put up, put him up against any statist. 
I have a question to wrap this up with, unless you guys have any more any more thoughts on this matter. But I'll, this is this is related. <laughs> this is uh, something we probably all have interesting thoughts on. Do you consider Gary Johnson a celebritarian? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't consider Gary Johnson at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> to accept a celebritarian that he's a celebritarian, you have to a agree he's a libertarian, and b agree that he has any amount of celebrity. I, th- I think he's I might more- lean more celebrity than libertarian at this point. He's. I'm going to answer this, and then I'm going to give a lecture. Uh, but <laughs> Gary Johnson is absolutely a libertarian and a celebrity, and you will all know this because the next five to ten years, all these new people will start popping up in the party and going, yeah, I'm a libertarian because I, I, I heard about this Gary Johnson guy, and then I started uh, learning about libertarianism, and then I and then I ended up at Rothbard. And so he's absolutely a libertarian, and he's absolutely a celebritarian because a hell of a lot more people know him as a libertarian than uh, maybe Roger would like. Gary, Gary, ban the fucking burka, bake the fucking cake is not a libertarian, period. A libertarian could not advocate for the things that Gary Johnson advocated for. And I'm not talking minarchism. I'm talking about banning people from wearing something on their head that they choose to wear for themselves. I'm talking about forcing people to bake a cake for people. He's talking about advocating for adding more force. Literally, potentially giving a death sentence to people because, again, when you take men with guns to go grab people for doing something innocuous like, you know, wearing a, a headgear or, or or not baking a cake, then you're potentially giving them the death penalty. Gary Johnson is not a libertarian. Boom. Those are those could not be two more opposite views, and that's why I brought you guys on because that's I, why I love I Roger. <laughs> he couldn't be more wrong, but I love the guy. Odie, I love you too, baby. Odie, yeah. before we sign off, Gary Johnson, celebritarian, yes or no? I I, I don't really know. The, th- the thing about Gary Johnson, <laughs> not is an important question. That he, the, the thing that people say that he you, you know, he, he, he led he led you know this person liberty, he led me to liberty. You would have found your way to liberty anyway if Gary Johnson led you to liberty. So yeah, he's, I don't think he's a libertarian. He might have had the libertarian banner, you know, over his head for a little bit. But the people who Gary Johnson led to liberty—I know Johnny Rockets mentioned that before—he would have found his way there anyway. Gary Johnson didn't lead him. Here, look, if, if Donald Trump—if Donald Trump ran for president in the Libertarian Party for whatever reason, I think he actually could have been the first third-party president if he did do a third party. So let's just pretend he did it in the Libertarian Party, and all the the Trumpertarians got enamored enough that he won that that vote and won the presidency. You could definitely say that a shit ton of people heard about libertarianism through Donald Trump then, but it would not make Donald Trump a libertarian. So you can have if, someone. If Donald- If Donald Trump did that, I would join the National Party again just so I could resign again. Because I resigned in disgust when Bill Weld and Gary Johnson won the nomination. And not only from the National Party, but I was still a lifetime member of Arkansas at the time, even though I was up here. And and I resigned from that party as well because that that state party voted overwhelmingly for Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. So, you know, I I would absolutely join the party again just to say that I've resigned again. Because that would be, I mean, that would be. Yeah, just a little bit worse than Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. That's who's about- more of a libertarian? <laughs> who's more of a libertarian, Donald Trump or Bill Weld? Mm. Oh, that's. Neither. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like saying you know w- which of them is closer to being black. I mean, because it's <laughs> you can't have it. I'm going to go Donald Trump on on that on the which is closer to being black, but that's a, probably a bigger conversation <laughs> that we're able to get into know, today. Man. But orange is, orange is a little bit darker shade than white, so yeah, you're probably yeah, right. You right. Oh, here's a question, Roger. <laughs> if someone signs signs the the move to New Hampshire when the the you know that the trigger is pulled if they sign that pledge but do not move have they violated the NAP 
Well, I mean, technically it's not a contract per se. I mean, okay. it's more of a, you know, it's more of a kind of a promise. It's I mean, like it's a not very a legal nice contract. Promise. Okay. Sure. So, but so I mean, no. if it were a legal, if it were a legal contract, then yeah, absolutely. But it, it's not that situation. Could you go kill them with your private court guns? <laughs> well, well, that's a different story that I might do. Yeah. Okay. Guys, if you pledge to move to New Hampshire, just do it. All right. Or Roger is coming after you with his private court guns. <laughs> guys it's been a blast i really have, have had a, a very good time today i know we could do this for hours and hours someday i'm gonna say it right now someday we're all it's i don't know how we're gonna do it but someday we're all gonna be in the same room and we're gonna record some ridiculous live live stream out to the libertarian world and it's gonna be the biggest thing ever and i can't wait well mark i'm gonna tell you how we're gonna do it you guys are all gonna come to pork fest in 2018 spend a week in the white mountains of new hampshire surrounded by you know 1500 other libertarians and anarchists have the best week of your life and we're gonna live stream a podcast from there can you protect me from the mosquitoes roger uh the mosquitoes don't bother you up in the white mountains they, they, listen they, they practice that they don't violate the nap there <laughs> of course not there's even so the many libertarian, guns even the mosquitoes well, there's so are many libertarian. guns there i'm not sure I'm not poor, so I don't camp and pretend to be poor. So is there a shower there that I can take? Is there a bed? So they have shower. We bring in showers for the week, um, but they also have hotels on site, and they also have hotels just a half a mile down the road as well. So if, you, right. if you're not into camping, you can also rent an RV too. So there's uh, plenty of options. Sounds like we're all uh, running out of excuses. So if, if we plan far enough ahead, which we are, I think this can happen. Well, my wife and I are potentially going to be organizing the event next year, and if that happens, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you guys there. Whatever it takes, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. And I don't need to because it's recorded here on audio and it's being put out there for the world to listen to. Until next time, folks, I've only got one more thing to request of you. And that is, of course, live long and and live free. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. Just one night while you should be a book in a hole.